Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sake Revolution. This is America's first sake podcast. I am your host, John Puma, from the Internet Sake Discord, as well as Reddit's r slash sake community, and uh, the guy on the show who is not a sake samurai. And I am your host, Timothy Sullivan. I am a sake samurai. I'm also a sake educator, and I'm also the founder of the Urban Sake website. And every week, John and I will be tasting and chatting about all things sake and doing our best to make it fun and easy to understand. That's right. All things sake. But this week, we have a very specific thing about sake. Um, We are in the middle of our Shubo series. Now, Tim. All things Shubo. All things Shubo. Now, so last week, last week we we covered ninety percent, most of sake. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Yes. Mm. So we talked about the most common Shubo method, and again, Shubo is the fermentation or the yeast starter. It's where mm-hmm. all the ingredients come together for the first time, where fermentation begins. And the purpose of the Shubo step in sake production is to make a healthy, vibrant yeast colony to move on to the main fermentation tank. So we talked about Sokujo last time. And Sokujo was our modern, fast yeast starter method, which 90% of all sake uses. (laughs) You know, in retrospect, maybe we should have saved that one for last. But what is done is done. You think people will be bored with the other methods? <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I do think they're more interesting. But, you know, oh. sometimes it's like you've covered 90% of all the sake already. <laughs> so let's do that last that last 10% in three episodes. <laughs> well, we have to say it was a little harder to find sake for this episode, wasn't it? It was. It was. Uh, and, and exactly what, what specialty are we looking for today, Tim? Well, we're going back to kicking it old school. Think like... Samurai time Shubo. <laughs> Samurai Shubo. Samurai Shubo. Okay. Well, what we're going to talk about today is called the Kimoto method, the Kimoto Shubo method. Mm. And a lot of and people that- consider this to be the original Shubo method that was used for many, many years mm-hmm. before. So this the, is the, the OG Shubo method. This is the OG Shubo method. And right. we should probably get right to our percentages. What percentage of sake is made using this old-fashioned Kimoto method? So, all right. So it's somewhere between one and at maximum eight. So <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get within five. Okay. So I'm going to say, let's say Kimoto, I'm going to say like 3%. The answer is 1%. Are you kidding me? No. (laughs) Would I joke about Shubo? No. (laughs) True. You rarely joke about Shubo. I rarely joke about Shubo. Yes. (laughs) So it's 1% of sake production uses this Kimoto method. 1%? Yes. This is the 1%. This is the 1%. (laughs) This is the billionaire of Shubo methods. Uh, (laughs) Oh. Oh my. So, so Tim, last week when we talked about Sokujo, we mentioned that you basically buy off the shelf for, you know, all sorts of purposes, off the shelf lactic acid. Yes. And you pour it into your yeast starter. Yeah. And you're done, kind of. Well, what, what, <laughs> well, do you remember what the lactic acid does? What the role of that is? 
Well, yes, it's it's killing off the bacteria and the microbes that we do not want. Yes. Exactly. And it is laying the foundation and laying a clean slate so that the sake-friendly microbes can do their thing. Yes. It lets the sake yeast live their best life. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yes. I like it. Yes. One, one of the differences now is that the Sokujo method we talked about last week is you mentioned we purchase lactic acid and we, we dump it in and it jumpstarts the process. Mm. Now, you mentioned samurai in yes. your timing for this particular method. Yes. So I'm guessing that samurai era brewers could not go to their local store <laughs> and get lactic acid. So, that's, and that's understandable. I get it. I'm right. not going to blame them for that. Yes. Um, so I'm assuming that they're trying to accomplish the same thing, get some kind of acid going that's going to pave the way so that the, so that the sake yeast can live its best life. Yes. <laughs> so what we're talking about is the natural development of lactic acid. Oh, and so that, this, that's the plan then. They're that's just going the to try to yep. make it happen. They're going to let lactic acid bacteria fall into the mash. Mm-hmm. And over time, lactic acid bacteria, other wild bacteria, wild yeast, they're all going to be in a battle. Mortal combat is going on in the, in the Shubo. And what happens is lactic acid gradually wins out, and little by little, lactic acid bacteria is giving off lactic acid, kills off the wild yeast and bacteria. And this process for the lactic acid to build up naturally, it takes about two weeks. So this adds two weeks to the process. The Sokujo method was a two weeks total. Mm-hmm. So this adds two weeks to that. So with Kimoto, we're looking at a four-week process. Two weeks of lactic acid buildup, and then two weeks of the sake yeast propagation. Okay. And I'm assuming that climate control, not a very <laughs> uh, not a very developed concept back then. What are we doing about temperature? Because you did describe that Shubo room is usually very cold. Yes. In the modern way of doing things, the Shubo room is kept very cold under refrigeration And we talked about temperature variation to keep the yeast guessing and survival of the fittest and all that. Mm -hmm. But there is a process that they do to the Kimoto method. This is what many people would consider the original fermentation starter method. And what they do is called Yama Oroshi. Mm -hmm. And this is a method of mashing the water and the Mm -hmm. rice Mm-hmm. and the koji rice together into a paste. Okay. And if you've ever seen an old woodblock print or maybe a picture of people making sake, very often they have these long wooden poles and they have a low kind of tub or tank in front of them and they're mm-hmm. using these wooden poles to mash water and rice together. That and sounds like a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> it is a physical process of breaking down the rice and water together as an initial step. And this is the defining characteristic of Kimoto, is that they do this Yama Oroshi, which is this method of mashing rice and water together with a pole. Hmm. And in the past, they would actually sing songs to keep them in rhythm. So they they have these sake brewing songs that they would sing, and they would rhythmically mash the rice and water together 
trying to break down the rice grains and mm -hmm. create kind of a paste of rice and water. And they thought this mashing step, Yama Oroshi step, was really important and necessary. Later on in history, they discovered okay. it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> when you said they thought, the first thing that popped out of my head was like, uh oh. <laughs> yes. Um, they they found so they found later on that this was not necessary, and I suppose that is a tale for another time. That is a sneak preview, perhaps of <laughs> next week. <laughs> Imagine for a few centuries, you thought, okay, we're going to do the fermentation starter, Kimoto method. We got to get out our long poles and our rice and our water, and we have to spend hours mashing them together. And then a few generations later, well, we'll talk about that next week, but. This mashing of rice and water with the pole is the defining element of the Kimoto method. So natural lactic acid development, rice and water being mashed together by hand, and a four-week process versus two weeks for the modern method. So that's a quick summary of what Kimoto is all about. And and songs. And songs. Songs. <laughs> there are... There are these brewing songs, I think I can get it on YouTube, and I think I'm going to oh, put it in the show notes. Oh my god! Yes. I, I, do you know? Have you have you ever sung any? I know. Songs? Have you ever have you ever taken part in in um in making kimoto? You know, the brewery where I worked did not make kimoto, mm, so that would be so a hard no. That's a hard no. <laughs> we'll find you one, and we'll get you over there during brewing season, and we'll sing but, some songs. But have I seen Kimoto being made? Yes. Excellent. I've, I've witnessed this process as an observer, and I've visited breweries that do Kimoto, but I've never done it myself. And and were they singing? <laughs> they were not singing. They were not singing. Oh. <laughs> um, I find it really interesting that despite many generations later finding out that this was all an elaborate ruse by the uh, – pole making companies to, <laughs> to sell poles <laughs> and that they didn't actually need to do this that method is still being used today um, yes that is interesting <laughs> yes there are some breweries that define themselves by this method that this is what they've done this is what their forefathers did and this is the method that they specialize in mm. even though it's one percent of all sake made uses this method because it is arguably the most labor-intensive way to get sake started. You I don't to... think there's much of an argument. This is the most labor-intensive way to get sake started. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to, I'm going to put myself out on the line, and I'm going to say, "This is it." If anybody has a more intensive, I'll I will take the L. But I think this is the one. Okay, so <laughs> for all of our listeners, if you want to see the pole ramming in action, please visit sakerevolution.com check the show notes for the youtube videos that we will put there and yep. you will see the kimoto method in action defined again by yama oroshi process which is the pole ramming rice and water mashing you don't want to miss it i i don't want to miss it i gotta see this <laughs> i have not witnessed people doing this so i need to uh i need to get my eyes on this i mean i've seen photos um i've seen video but i've never been there Right. So I need to experience that at some point. Yeah. So it, it's really interesting. Again, the, the funny thing is all these Shubo methods we're talking about, 
through this short series, the end purpose is the same. You want lactic acid buildup in your mash to kill off the bad germs, the bad bacteria, and you want to create an environment that's perfect for the sake yeast to live their best life. <laughs> live their best life. That's, <laughs> oh, we do have an episode title, don't we? So... It's funny that there's all these different roads to the same goal. They want lactic acid to be that sanitizing agent in the mash. And once you've achieved that, whether it's two weeks of natural development or whether you just dump it in, you know, either way, you're going to end up at the same point. And once that lactic acid kind of sanitizes the mash, the yeast can go in and flourish uninhibited. I love it when my yeast flourishes uninhibited. <laughs> I wish I could flourish uninhibited. <laughs> <laughs> then we'd all be living our best lives. We'd all be living our best lives. Right. So when we talk about tasting Kimoto versus Sokujo, we really have to consider this two-week period where the mortal combat of microorganisms is going on in there. So if there's wild yeast falling in there, wild bacteria falling in there, lactic acid bacteria, revving up, all those different microorganisms are battling it out and they're going to leave their traces of their existence in the Shubo. And, and so due to that battling it out in the Mortal Kombat kind of way, <laughs> um, are there distinctive aroma or taste qualities that are inherent to Kimoto or at least more more prevalent in Kimoto? Yes, you will notice in most cases, uh, mm -hmm. some breweries handle it with a very gentle touch. But mm -hmm. for a classic Kimoto versus a classic Sokujo, you're going to notice a very distinct taste difference. That two-week period of lactic acid developing naturally, wild yeast, wild bacteria, fighting for survival, duking it out, that leaves a flavor impression in the sake. And it's most often described as an earthiness or mm -hmm. uh, umami flavors or more robust flavors. So you can get funky, earthy, very bold flavors from this Kimoto method. And it all has to do with this initial lead up to building up lactic acid. It's a really interesting dimension to the flavor that you don't get with Sokujo. Mm. That's why Sokujo is most often used for the more clean and more elegant styles of sake. And Kimoto methods have a reputation for being more earthy, robust, and funky in flavor. While I do tend to lean towards those cleaner flavors mm. in my day-to-day -day sake drinking, there are some times when I do really enjoy some of the unusual funkiness, the way you put mm. that, I like that, that you get from, from some Kimotos. A um, little, little less the earthiness, but a lot more when, when things just get a little weird sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people talk about Kimotos having like mushroom or funky, cheesy notes or lots of umami flavors. And you can also talk about warming Kimoto sake quite often. Mm. It's the style of sake that really takes to a gentle warming to emphasize those amino acid and savory flavors even more. So when we taste our sakes today, we can think about what would this taste like warm versus chilled. So 
that's another great thing about Kimoto sakes is that you can really experiment pretty easily with temperature as well with this style. Well, well, all right. I think um, I think we've done enough book learning, <laughs> and it is time for the practical application. Okay. Well, John, let's do our introductions. Why don't you right. tell me, John, what sake did you bring to represent Kimoto today? Well, I'm I'm quite proud of this one, Tim. So I brought what I am uh, very confident is the most elaborate bottle that we've ever had on the show. <laughs> That's a pretty um, bold statement. <laughs> it, I mean, look at this thing. So um, unfortunately, this is an audio-only podcast, but check the show notes. Uh, it is quite an interesting bottle. It's kind of like the base is almost triangular. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's also extraordinarily tall. Like this does not fit in my sake fridge at all. <laughs> um, I need to put this in my my regular refrigerator in order to get it. To, and, then if, and then in there, I need to like actually put it on like a – an extra short shelf. Um, but this is the uh, Daishichi Raden. And that allegedly means mother of pearl. So this is again from uh, Daishichi who are, I want to say they are, they are Kimoto specialists. Like that is, this is like the thing they do. This is what they're known for doing is making excellent uh, Kimoto sake yes and so it made sense when we're doing the kimoto episode to get my hands on a sake from them what about you tim well i have a brand called tatsuriki this Ooh. is from hyogo prefecture mm -hmm. and i think we featured this brand when we did our episode on yamada nishiki so this I think so. is this is a brand that uses the special A-grade Yamada Nishiki. And this is their Kimoto Tokubetsu Junmai. And they're from Hyogo Prefecture. This has a 65% rice polishing ratio mm -hmm. and an SMV of minus one, which is interesting. Maybe a, just a hint on the less dry side. Mm -hmm. And uh, acidity of 1.7 and alcohol of 16%. Very so nice. Super interesting. Um, this is a sake I've never had before. It's been in my fridge for a while, and I was saving it for our Kimoto episode. So I'm super excited to open it up and try it out. Fantastic. My daishishi is uh, made from Gohyakuman Goku rice, milled down to 58%. The alcohol by volume is 16%, and the acidity is 1.5. Unfortunately, I do not have a, a sake meter value on this one. I was mm. not able to find it. Well, we'll have to taste it and make our best judgment. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we have to give Daishichi its due. Oh, and I'm why excited. don't you go first? Because Daishichi is the brand that represents Kimoto. This brewery only makes Kimoto. Did you know that? That's I the did. only I did. kind of sake um, they make. It's one of the first things I learned about them. Yeah. And I, I had a, a bit of a crash course. I had never had their sake before. And then I ended up going to a Daishichi event. And mm. while I was there, I found out that they only make Kimoto and and that their sake is absolutely delicious. Yeah. Which is a nice thing to find out at an event. Now, this Raden is a little bit unusual for a Kimoto in that it is suggested to be had chilled. Mm. Okay. So I've opened up this uh, Raden and now I'm giving it a pour. 
Oh my. This nose is fruity. This is very unexpected. Mm. Fruity, a little citrusy. A little light citrus. And uh, a little bit of a little, a little bit of b- little boozy uh, on the tail end of that nose as well. Mm. And this is incredibly elegant. Mm. I think Daishichi has so much experience with Kimoto that even though traditionally it's more earthy, robust, and umami laden, I think they have such a deft hand at making Kimoto sakes, they can create super elegant expressions of Kimoto. This is wonderful. Uh, this, <laughs> so that it is fruity, but there is a layer of umami on top of that. Mm. It's kind of, you're almost experiencing them at the same time. It's like fruity umami. It's bizarre <laughs> and wonderful. And mm. it's very light, uh, very, mm. very surprisingly light. I kind of expected it to be heavier I expected the mouthfeel to be a little bit more, to be thicker. Hmm. Uh, this is a lot lighter than I was expecting. Mm. But a really nice blend of umami and and a little bit of fruit. I'm just, I'm still stunned that there's this much, this much kind of fruitiness in there. Very, mm. very, very nice. Uh, it's a little bit dry also. Mm. I remember I mentioned that it wasn't very thick. That I, I want to say that when it's thinner like that, it usually tends to be uh, a little bit drier. There's a lot of depth here. This is – it is very – how do I put this? There's a lot going on, but it's not – it doesn't – like usually when you have a sake that has a lot of complexity and depth, typically that leads to something that's earthier. And this is not earthy. Mm. Um but it does have, like I said, a lot of depth, a lot of, uh, a lot of umami. It is so different and so unusual. Yeah. Well, I, I think one one thing you can look for in your sake, even though it's elegant, meant to be consumed chilled, you can look for a little bit of that complexity of flavor. Like mm. it's not just fruity and light and clean. It has that back note of umami, a little mm. trace of something earthy just on the tail, just underneath the surface. And that depth of flavor is something that also identifies Kimoto. Absolutely. This is, like, you can really, really delve into this and just spend a lot of time thinking about it and sipping it and, and mm. musing. It's really <laughs> a lot going on here. It's wonderful. Yeah, you can spend hours thinking about the Yama Oroshi pole ramming that was done. <laughs> In I will make my own songs <laughs> <laughs> about this song. Yeah, so I, I will pour myself a little bit more and then uh, hand it over to you, Tim. All right. Well, I, again, I have the Tatsuriki Kimoto Tokubetsu Junmai. This is from Honda Shoten. They are a super well-known brewery from Hyogo Prefecture that specializes in Class A Yamada Nishiki. So that's is the super rare, super expensive Yamada Nishiki. And I'm so curious to try this because they've taken this high-end raw material and they've applied a more earthy production method to it, the Kimoto method. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and open this up. I have to wrestle with some foil here myself. Uh, you know, that's how it is. <laughs> 
Some nights you wrestle with the foil. All right. So we have a little bit of color here. You can see the just Ooh. just a hint of straw color. Very, very light yellow. This could, again, almost pass for a white wine, Chablis mm. color. I should have talked about my color earlier, but it is almost identical to yours. Mm. Very okay. white wine-ish. Okay, so I'm going to give this a smell. Mm, it smells very rich and complex. A little bit of a nutty aroma. And mm. fruity as well, but it smells like a little bit like dried fruits. Ooh. And I'm even getting a hint. This sounds crazy, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm even getting a hint of like a ginger snap cookie. Like there's something, there's like a, a warm spice in the a ginger the snap cookie. Yes. That's fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So there's a little bit of warm spice, like almost like a nutmeg or a cinnamon characteristic, uh, preserved fruits and uh, a richness and uh, just a hint of something nutty as well. Uh, kind of like a warming, warming smell. Mm. Almost like, uh, you know, when you think about the way banana, fresh banana smell versus banana bread, mm -hmm. banana mm -hmm. bread has that kind of warm baked uh, spiced characteristic to it versus fresh uh, tropical fruit bananas. So it's kind of right. like that, that, characteristic we're dealing with let me give it a taste mm. Mm -hmm. so the flavor is rich very elegant but it has a, a richness and a depth of flavor to it almost like again this sounds strange but almost like a, a custard or like a, a vanilla pudding flavor i've got kind to try this that sounds <laughs> wonderful <laughs> Save some like, for me. <laughs> it's all the kind of it's bringing up all these kind of Christmas and holiday warming feelings. Uh, it goes down very smooth, mm. uh, very elegant, rich. But this is not, I repeat, not your typical Yamada Nishiki fruit bomb. This is more warming, spicy, a little bit rich, but not in a way that is off-putting. Some sakes, when you taste them and they're earthy, they're just like, boom, like forest floor or like hay or they smell like barnyard or something like that. You know, they're <laughs> very, very earthy and robust. And here we're getting something that has that depth of flavor, but it's very elegant and has notes of like almond paste and uh, preserved overripe banana and uh, nice dry finish. I can totally imagine warming this up. Ooh. But it is giving me that kind of uh, holiday time, warm, spiced gingerbread cookie kind of feelings. Mm, sounds nice. It sounds yeah. very interesting. I don't yeah. Know. The, the other thing that just occurred to me was that I was like, what is this flavor? What is this flavor? I talked about custard and ginger snaps. It's like butterscotch. That's what I'm going for. Ooh. Like a little butterscotchy flavor. And it smells good too. Super interesting. I didn't, I didn't know special A-grade Yamada Nishiki could do this. I really didn't. 
Well, you know. They, they do call you Tim Special A-Grade Yamada Nishiki Sullivan. So I'm surprised you didn't know this. I'm delighted to learn this. This is one of those things that makes sake so amazing, is that you can study sake for years and still be surprised every day of the week with something new and interesting. So That's it's right. one of the things that makes sake so appealing is, is the depth and the breadth of the different flavors that are out there. Uh, and that's how many ways are there to make sake? Bon Ryu. Bon Ryu. <laughs> 10,000. 10,000. Which is good because we want to make a lot of these episodes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we have a few more seasons to go before we reach the end of the 10,000 ways. <laughs> just a few. Just a few. So Kimoto is the method that was used as the default way to make sake for hundreds of years. We're talking from the commercialization of sake mm -hmm. until around uh, 1900. Oh, wow. So there's a good number of centuries in there where Kimoto method was the only method. This is just how it was done. And when we get into the 20th century, that's when things start to develop when people begin to understand microbiology a little bit more, understand microbes and yeast a little bit more. Uh, but for a long time, this method of using these poles to mix the rice and water, this was the, just the way it was done. So it's often called the traditional method because for centuries, this was it. This was it. And then, so you said that this was until the 20th century. Yeah. So we've got one century more or less <laughs> to go and we've got three more methods technically because uh nowadays you know everybody's doing sokujo so right. well, everybody but 90 percent <laughs> i could say everybody when it's 90 percent <laughs> yes so we have, feel we no have, shame <laughs> so we've had 90 percent sokujo and now we know there's one percent kimoto and we have two more methods to go so we'll Two see how they break them to go. And this will be the turn of the century for our next method. Yep. And we have implied that they stopped with the poles, the pole ramming, the pole ramming is comes in to question. An end. <laughs> the death of pole ramming. It's going to be exciting. Yes. Yeah. So I think that Kimoto is such a fun thing to look out for because it is not produced by a lot of breweries because it is more labor intensive. Mm -hmm. It involves that Yama Oroshi pole ramming step that it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort. So if you do see a Kimoto out there in the wild, if you're in a restaurant or a liquor store and you see a Kimoto sake, I really encourage you to pick it up, give it a try and see what you think. See how you respond to the earthy flavors of Kimoto. Yeah. You may be a new fan. Yeah. I tend to think that and this is going to bleed a little bit into next week but i tend to think that when a brewery is doing yamahai which will be the next one we talk about they're going more for the for the earthiness that's like the goal they're they're mm. all over that 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 earthiness that that super umami um kind of situation and i think that nowadays when a brewery is doing kimoto it's either they want to do something a little funky Mm -hmm. A little different, a little bit interesting. Uh, or they want to show off that they can coax these like really interesting flavors out of this really ancient method. 
uh, and show how well they can mm. do it. And I think that uh, in Daishishi's case, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of both. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. really like flexing on what they can do with uh, with Kimoto. Totally. And also, like it is just a little funky. It's a little. Mm. It's a little. You taste this, and you're like, I don't get this kind of depth from regular sake. Right. Um, but it's all at the same time. It is not that super earthy umami bomb. Right. Right in the middle. <laughs> yep. They have a very skilled hand mm-hmm. with the Kimoto method. Right. And it is a subtle flex, but it is amazing what they can do, especially with Daishichi's high end sakes. And they make some expensive sakes, and they are delicious. They're amazing and 100% Kimoto. So they are masters of it for sure. Yeah. And it sounds to me like the Tatsuriki, kind of the same idea, is that mm. it's um, it's a little bit of a twist, and it yeah. is adding more depth to the experience that you normally have with yeah. that kind of rice that you're having and yeah. with what that brand usually does. And, and it, you know, it's, it's kind of just, just, just tweaking the knob a little bit and seeing, showing you, yeah. look what else we can do. Yeah. It, it's funny. Both of our breweries are taking these super luxe, like luxurious mm-hmm. ingredients and using this orthodox old fashioned method on them and coming up with something complex and deep in flavor, but still really elegant. And that's super exciting for me. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we talked about Sokujo. We talked about Kimoto. And for next week, I cannot wait to dive deep into Yamaha. Hmm. It's going to be exciting. Yes. And, and to the chagrin of all the pole makers in Japan. <laughs> yes. Their, their services were no longer required. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed Kimoto. And like I said, please, if you have a chance to pick up Kimoto yourself, please give it a try. And a special thanks for all our listeners for tuning in. We really do hope that you're enjoying our show. If you'd like to show your support for Sake Revolution, one way you could really help us out would be to take a couple of minutes and leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us to get the word out about our show. Yeah. When you're done leaving your review, please go and tell a friend and then be sure to subscribe and then um, tell your friend to subscribe because uh, we don't want you to miss episodes. And when you subscribe, the episodes automatically download to your device of choice every single week. And that's it. You've got it. You've got every single episode then and you're good to go. And... As always, to learn more about any of the topics we talked about in today's episode, if you'd like to learn more about Kimoto or see the sake brewing songs in action or see Kimoto Yama Oroshi pole ramming videos, you must visit our website, sakerevolution.com. And right there, you can check out all the detailed show notes. And if you have a sake question that you need answered, it, it doesn't necessarily need to um, be related to pole ramming or the songs therein, <laughs> but we do want to hear from you. Uh, please reach out to us. The email address, as always, is feedback at sakerevolution.com. So until next time, please remember, keep drinking sake and Kampai. Well, punchy at the end there. That Ooh. was that was fun. <laughs> <laughs>